I'm so proud of her. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. Our parasha today is entitled Truma, meaning contribution. It takes us from Exodus chapter 25 through 2719. The subject matter of these chapters and really the entire remainder of the book of Exodus is the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant. God gave Moses a detailed blueprint, as it were, and the list of materials for the construction is really beautifully varied and, and really quite fascinating. Gold, silver, and bronze. By the way, what did gold close at? About 1,800 an ounce. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet-colored fabric. Goat hair. Ram skins dyed red and alternately badger or porpoise skins. I'm trying to figure out where they would get porpoise skins in the Sinai. But remember, we got all these things from Egypt, right? We plundered the Egyptians after 400 years of slavery. Acacia wood, oil, spices, onyx stones, and other precious and semi-precious stones. And all of these things for one grand, magnificent purpose, that God himself might dwell among us. The verb shachan, from which we get the word mishkan, means to dwell or to inhabit. God didn't, in, God didn't command us to construct a tabernacle uh, merely to keep us out of trouble and to keep us busy. It was to be a labor of love with love as its ultimate aim. You know, people equate love with emotion, but authentic love is about commitment. Because feelings wax and wane, but love leads to action, and it always yields tangible results. It costs something. Well, here was an opportunity for our people to express our love for Adonai. Though Israel left Egypt with great wealth, it doesn't mean that everybody had everything. Not everyone had gold to contribute, or even necessarily silver or bronze, but I think it's safe to say everybody had something on that list, even if just some spices. Think about what you have to contribute to the upbuilding of God's house. And there wasn't even the slightest hint of compulsion. This was altogether voluntary. Let me reiterate. From every man whose heart stirred him. The ark, of course, was the most magnificent uh, piece of furniture. It was to be made out of acacia wood and overlaid with pure gold inside and out. It was never to be picked up and hand-carried, but rather four rings of cast gold were to be fastened at its four corners. And poles, also made of acacia wood and also overlaid with gold, were to be used to carry the ark uh, whenever it was time for Israel to pack up and set out. The ark would hold the tablets with the Ten Commandments, also called the Testimony, and eventually would also hold the jar containing the sample of manna and Aaron's rod, which had budded 
sprouting buds, confirming God's choice of the tribe of Levi to serve him there. The ark was to also have a solid gold covering called the kaporet, meaning covering, but which is also alternately translated as the mercy seat or the propitiation. Because the same root kaper is the word for atonement. The dimensions of the kaporet were to match the length and the width of the ark, but it was much more than just the top of a box. In fact, the kaporet was of such significance that in 2 Chronicles 28, the Holy of Holies is actually referred to as the house of the kaporet. Because above the kaporet was where God manifested himself in a cloud. The kaporet was also to be adorned beautifully uh, on its top with two golden cherubim, one at each end, facing each other, their wings spreading over it and touching at the center, and they were also made of solid gold. In chapter 27, we find out the altar was also to be constructed of acacia wood, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet uh, in width and four and a half feet high. The altar was to be overlaid with bronze rather than gold because, of course, sacrifices high heat. Bronze can uh, handle that heat better. The altar was to have four horns, one adorning each corner, but the horns were not nailed to it. Rather, the horns were to be carved out of the same solid piece of acacia wood that the top of the altar was. The altar was also to be carried by poles rather than by hand. And by this, we are meant to understand the holiness of these things. Sinful human hands were never to touch them once they were completed. The tools for the altar were likewise to be made of bronze. And then the parasha concludes with the dimensions of the outer courtyard surrounding the tent, 150 feet by 75 feet. So let me give you a few closing thoughts about parashat Thrumah. And I begin with a question. Couldn't the all-powerful God, who's the greatest artist of all, whose artistry is sublime, couldn't he have simply spoken a word and the tabernacle and everything in it would have been instantaneously come into being? Wouldn't something made by him be vastly superior to anything of our doing? Yet he asked frail, flawed human beings to construct it and with decidedly earthly materials. Why? Anyway, no, just kidding. Perhaps the use of things like porpoise skins, goat hair, wood, and fabrics, and bronze represent man's earthbound nature, and perhaps the silver and the gold, more refined and pure, represent God's purity and holiness. But the point of this is God invites us to participate, not be spectators. He could certainly have done things more skillfully and artistically and efficiently than we, but by bringing a perfect end result out of the imperfect efforts of flawed human beings, he receives all the more glory. Secondly, during the wilderness wandering, the Ark of the Covenant was at least occasionally visible as Israel packed up and followed God moving from place to place. But you know, eventually the ark 
would be placed permanently in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, where it would only be seen by one man and only once per year. Why then all this impractical, non-utilitarian beauty? Ornate hammered gold, winged cherubim, if it would never be seen and appreciated by men. I think the point of this is that the beauty of all these things is for him. Just as there are beautiful mountain flowers that no one ever sees, but he does. And fascinating deep sea creatures that until recently no man had ever seen either, but he sees. He created them and everything and everyone exists for his pleasure. Finally, here's the thing. The tabernacle isn't about us. It's about him. It's about God's glory. But the tabernacle is for our sake. Atonement. During the existence of the tabernacle and later the temple, God humbled himself to dwell in the midst of a community of sinful human beings. All the more when Messiah, the Son of God, left the glory of heaven to come and dwell on earth. Again, among us sinful human beings. So it's amazing then to think that in the new covenant, God is dwelling by his spirit within us. Rabbi Paul wrote to the Corinthians, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. If we are his house, then it is only fitting that we keep this house in reverent and proper order. Amen?